Hey y'all, welcome to my podcast. Thank you so much for coming to listen. And this is Rochelle on You in the Pandemic. All right, y'all, before we head into the episode, I would like to acknowledge that I'm engaging conversations from a perspective of a cisgendered white woman. And I want to leave a disclaimer acknowledging that I cannot speak for all experiences when discussing the impacts of larger systems on individuals and or groups, as there will always be further intersectionalities that exist beyond these discussions. My goal for creating a space of discussing systems of oppression as they come up in our conversations is to encourage white people to reflect on our role in white supremacy and how to dismantle white supremacy. I would not be able to do this without the work that is continually and already done by black folks and people of color, so I want to place the credit where it is due as we continue our discussions. Today, there is no limit in sight to the work that needs to be done, so I am to hold myself accountable for the mistakes that will arise with these conversations that I am liable to make and if any listeners would like to reach out and leave comments or raise questions I am on Instagram at you and the pandemic and I would be so happy to have any discussions with anyone who would like to reach out so thank you all so much and let's get into the episode yeah there was also a period of time during the summer when there was a lift on the mask mandate and I received a lot of questions about like where my podcast would be headed, you know, because people had a conception with the lift of the mask mandate that then the pandemic was on its way out or basically coming to an end. And that was honestly shocking for me because the point of the podcast, like you and the pandemic is to give attention to the fact that um, the trauma that we experience in like this turmoil and uh, us being really uprooted from our um, previous circumstances with the pandemic that will not just vanish once we stop wearing masks and um, I think that like our relationship to the pandemic will be a part of the rest of our lives our mental state our emotional state our physical state will all have like a memory of the pandemic even when we are in a place like years from now um where we look back at the pandemic and Mm -hmm. rather than trying to figure out when that will be and like looking ahead and just trying to get through it, you know? And I feel like that's where we are still now because yeah, we're very much in the pandemic. So I wanted to do some reflection though on where the attention could go with our conversations about our relationship with the pandemic. And I realized that part of those questions about like, where is this, podcast going if we don't have mask mandates anymore you know Mm -hmm. like that question kind of came from a state of and this is not meant like as an accusation but I think it kind of comes from a state of like disconnection you know Mm -hmm. from the larger reality of the fact that people really are still suffering like even when we're not wearing masks like there are families that are still deeply suffering and um, individuals who are deeply suffering and communities that are deeply suffering that, um, are, we are not seeing like in our most immediate, like media and what we consume on a daily basis, the way that we were at the beginning of the pandemic and people are losing sight of it and, um, are returning to kind of a 
a, a life that makes it easier to ignore those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it kind of is escaped from, I think, people's like immediate like psyche. Because we tend to um, warp the narratives that traumatic events have placed in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where a lot of disconnection comes from. And it makes it easier when we just don't talk about trauma. And like we brought up trauma a lot in the conversations about individuals' experiences in the last couple of episodes. But then we moved on. We just acknowledged that it was there and then moved on. And like I'm guilty of this that I don't actually go a step further to talk about my personal experiences of trauma and what that means for me. And then the collective experience of trauma and what that might mean for me. So anyway, that's my intention for the conversation today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I agree totally with what you're saying. It is so weird because Oregon had the highest cases it's ever had in August, but Mm -hmm. it's just the return to normal is almost like returning to I just want to continue in the way that I was continuing before. And I'm not saying, like, I'm, like, I'm there, too. You know, like, I, I get where that, like, want is coming from. I think that everyone has had that that feeling, you know. But I don't think that we should want to return there. And I mm-hmm. think that I like the way that you structured this episode because focusing on the way that trauma manifests within individuals also about the collective experience Mm -hmm. you know so yeah I really like that yeah I think like the point of the focusing on like the collective experience versus the individual experience is really interesting in relation to the pandemic I forgot the name of the author but we were talking about that book um it was like the body keeps score yeah the body keeps score and it was discussed on um, an episode on the Ezra Klein show, just so I can give some credit where it's due, <laughs> even though I don't remember the author's name. But an idea that when trauma is collectively experienced, and their example was 9-11 in New York, and um, when you can share that experience, though it is traumatic and it is a crisis... Um, it eliminates the aspect of shame and wanting to hide yourself that comes with trauma. So you're much more likely to be working through it in um, like a healthier state of mind. And you feel a sense of community rather than disassociative or like disconnecting from your community, which I think um, are often like indicators of traumatic experiences. Mm-hmm. But what is paradoxical now about that statement is that we weren't really able to share that experience with people because the point of still feeling safe with the people that we love and still feeling protected by the people who are supposed to protect us meant that we had to separate ourselves from those people and be isolated from those people. So I'm not sure what that statement means necessarily for this specific situation and how we can um, reflect on like what collective trauma even means, you know, for us, mm-hmm. given that the fact of isolation but yeah I should have started with this disclaimer but like yeah neither of us are experts in trauma oh but like we (laughs) yeah and none of this is like um to make any suggestions about how to deal with trauma for anybody but I think there's an importance in just opening up conversations about it and our personal experiences with it because if we can understand how we respond to trauma um I think that that will actually help us be more compassionate when we can recognize trauma in others and without 
being made, um, yeah, defensive in the ways that we saw, like, on social media. Um, if we can have more compassion for trauma, then I think that we'll have, like, way more tools to be in a state of crisis and understand our connection to others as well and not have to disconnect ourselves to protect ourselves and find trust and protection in others and Mm -hmm. um, provide a safe space for others so that as a collective when we're talking about collective traumas or even group or familial or individual traumas um, I think that if you feel like you can move through that in safety you know Mm -hmm. that's the most important part because part of trauma is not feeling safe in your body telling you that you're not safe even when your mind knows that you are in a safe space Mm -hmm. 100% and I feel like it's it's just our conversation and yeah definitely not experts on trauma at all Mm -hmm. but just our conversations about the individual and collective those are inseparable and the individual you know from an individual perspective I can't remember their name they are an icon Um, (laughs) but they were talking about their experiences as a non-binary person and how it frustrates them that um, people are always like how can we help you and they were like the reason that we have we have this distrust here you're feeling like you need to attack me is because you've done that harm to yourself Mm -hmm. like you've already um dissociated from who you are and bought into the heteropatriarchal values that like superimpose your gender on you Mm -hmm. and that just comes to like (laughs) all trauma i think in a way where it's just like the harm that we've internalized like that that will shape the way that we view our collective experiences and if you were experiencing a lot of like harm and like not feeling safe in your body and like working through that together is super important and bringing those emotions to a collective experience and processing them on an individual level simultaneously like that's super important the the idea of harm in mm-hmm. relation to all of that um mm-hmm. connecting with others and understanding trauma and mainly just like knowing who we are and understanding ourselves mm-hmm. um in the face of harm whether or not we are a victim of harm or unintentionally inflicting harm i think that is much more likely for us to unintentionally inflict harm mm-hmm. when we don't know who we are yeah in the face of it or we don't overall just in general know who we are because those experiences that are shaping our mind and body relationship and by those experiences I mean like traumatic experiences that like create that disconnect from your mind and your body it doesn't define who you are but it's part of that shaping that influences the ways that you interact with people the ways you connect with people Mm -hmm. so if you don't know who you are in those situations yeah I think that you're way more likely to be so unaware in the face of harm either way Mm -hmm. um So if you're a victim of harm, actually being able to recognize it when it happens um, rather than realizing it way later and then having to deal with that um, with like, it's kind of like a double harm, I guess, Mm -hmm. because it's, you've realized that it happened before and that you've gone this whole time and after the experience is when you realize it. So it's kind of like a, you experience it twice, but 
mm-hmm. in the same moment when you, when you come to that realization. And I'm saying you, I'm really talking about me, and that was my experience when mm-hmm. I realized that I was a victim of harm, like, nearly a year later, and then had to deal with the kind of mourning my, my experience and mourning the fact that I was so unaware. Like, that was part of what was painful about that and unpacking that trauma was that I was really, like, feeling passionate and empathetic for that person, you know, that I was in that time. And mm-hmm. um, and also, at the same time, trying to build um, the tools that I had in that moment of realization mm-hmm. so that I could not, de- like, dwell on the past and move forward healing and figure out what that meant for me and if we have the tools and understand ourselves in the moment and are able to understand harm when we are the victims of harm I think that that type of process um, Mm -hmm. is more likely to be avoided our natural response is to not really recognize it for what it is until our mind does know that we are in a safe space Um, it just takes our body and our mind to maybe like catch up to that healing sometimes is misused when it comes to trauma in my like personal experience I guess Mm -hmm. because yeah you can heal from your trauma but it's part of you and you're not you're not just like making it go away you know like I think sometimes healing is like and you're just gonna we're just gonna heal that up and like we're gonna make it go away but that's not what heal it like that's not what healing looks like to me you know um or processing looks like to me because I know I'm grateful for all of our experiences and I think that the pandemic really did teach us how valuable our life is and how like while we were still expected to go to school like keep producing keep doing your same thing it's fine like showing up to classes and they'd be like there was an insurrection today that was hard anyway and it really um, frustrated me but I don't think that we can expect anything else from institutions you know we're not going to find it there um that's anyway that's that's a whole nother thing so yeah I don't know (laughs) well that I mean it's not it's not like it's neither here nor there because it is very connected I think that it is the institutions like I think that's part of it too if we don't recognize the ways the institutions play into our experience of trauma then we're Mm -hmm. not fully recognizing our experience of trauma because Mm -hmm. institutions in our society are perpetuated by uh, toxic masculinity, patriarchy, white supremacy, which all is very rooted in disconnecting from mm-hmm. ourselves and disconnecting from our communities and mm-hmm. all those around us and the world as a whole. Um, that's, I think, I've realized one of the only ways that capitalism is able to survive is if we are fundamentally disconnected in some way, you know? And totally. I'm, yeah, I've noticed that the more, like, connection there is to those around us, like, the more we start to question structures of power. Right, Mm -hmm. right. Um, I think, yeah, capitalism is a fundamental disconnection, and that's why it's, like, connecting to yourself and your community that is subversive to the institution. I think that it's very strange to that we've gained, I think, in a way, a social conscious, like, a collective experience, you know, but in some ways, it's, like, when the mask mandate lifts, like, when COVID goes away, quote-unquote, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a very strange, like, experience, and it's, like, where do we go from here? I don't want to go back, 
you know? Right. Yeah. Well, there's the, we did talk about this the other day, like, the, there's a difference between what is normal and what is natural. And, like, we mm-hmm. were saying, things mm-hmm. only become normal when they become normalized. And that's part of why this is such an uprooting experience because we've had to kind of backtrack, you know, and mm-hmm. unwind some normalization that has happened in our lives. But I think that there is a lot of opportunity in that. And when we're talking about trauma, that's where the difference between normal and natural comes from, like ties in. The experiences that we have are completely natural, but the ways mm-hmm. that we're expected to cope with it um, is parallel to our daily lives that have been normalized. Mm-hmm. So that's where like there's this disconnect between natural and normal because mm-hmm. normal, you're right, like it looks like going to class every day when there's an insurrection in Washington, D.C. and continuing with your schoolwork on Anthropology 101 or whatever and (laughs) like not talking about it. Right. And yeah, so then we become even further disconnected from our natural feelings and emotions and then internalize that they are not valid and do not pertain to our experience of the present moment. Right, exactly. And we've been conditioning... I'm studying to be a future educator, so I think about how we condition that in the classroom, um, how we tell kids to push aside their emotions. And I was talking to this kid the other day, and some, so many kids, when you ask them, like, they're crying, they're very upset, mm-hmm. so many kids will be like, I'm fine, doesn't matter, it's whatever. And it's like, we are telling kids that in the classroom. You know, I've been told as a kid, like, leave the classroom um, until you get yourself together, mm-hmm. you know, so we condition that from a very early age that when you're in a social setting, when you're a collective group, when you're in community, put that shit away. Yeah. You know, I don't want to see it. Um, basically don't be human in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And when you're taught that and you're taught socialization with your peers that way mm-hmm. and like, um, with frustration with peers, it's like, don't fight. It's like, instead of being like, what's a, what's a more productive way to have that conversation instead of hitting your friend? Um, <laughs> like, it's like, don't do that, you know? And obviously it's like the action, there's harm being done, but what did you just do to repair that? Nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. We're not teaching kids tools. We're robbing them of like their connection to themselves and their peers, you know? Yeah. From what you've learned like in your classes about education and and how that process of like invalidating feelings and dehumanizing young children um in the classroom setting and socialization what have you learned for ways to kind of yeah unwind that normalization like we were talking about when you're talking to kids and dealing with emotions first of all understanding that institutions are institutions your school is an institution like and you can find love in the classroom by creating it in your space and like by creating community with your other co-teachers and basically just trying to um with kids right now it's it's a constant it's not something I ever learned you know Mm -hmm. it's not like you said like I didn't learn that. I was told to go sit in the corner, you know? Right. So I feel like um, having a lot of conversations and understanding that, like, the classroom will never look like... The classroom in the institution will never look like a place where emotions are, like, accepted, but you can create that, and you can create that subversion. It's a lot of just 
sitting down and being like, your emotions are valid. You don't have to share them. But mm-hmm. I think that the most important thing in those conversations is validating because that creates a trust there that it's like, you know what, even if I don't know where you're coming from exactly, like kids are smart and they they can tell when you're just like blowing them off. You know, you're not actually mm-hmm. listening. You know, I feel like I've never been so called out for like not listening to things by kids because Mm -hmm. like we don't give them the credit for that and we are aware from a very very young age exactly how our emotions are being perceived and where they're welcome so um creating a space for that and understanding that it's totally okay um when other people are crying you know Mm -hmm. um and when someone's like oh so-and-so's crying not don't talk about that. Like, yeah, they are crying right now and they just need a moment. You know, mm-hmm. like, I think there's a lot of don't do that. Don't do that. Don't, don't. Like, mm-hmm. it. it's okay to, it's so important to have conversations. That's how you unlearn, I think. Um, and so that's what I've learned. I have no mm-hmm. idea. I don't think there's one answer to, to that, you know. Yeah. No, that's but, just your personal experience, like, yeah. as a student working with kids. And exactly. And while you're unpacking your own validate, validation of your personal emotions as well, because we're learning how to, to be in a state where I can say that I am validating my own emotions. And if totally. we can be in a state where we can feel that without having to seek validation... Mm-hmm. that is a really profound place to be. And if kids are taught at a young age that their emotions are automatically validated and in a safe space, their emotions are welcome, like you said. Mm-hmm. To be in a safe space, your emotions should unconditionally be welcome. The way you express mm-hmm. it is a different story. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah, you cannot hit your friend. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. You can be angry. But we're still responsible for our actions. Exactly. <laughs> and that's how they learn it. So mm. by them understanding what that space looks like for themselves at a young age, it seems likely that if they are able to undergo um, emotional and mental physical development with that understanding, then they will more intuitively be validating their own emotions without needing to seek validation. And there is a risk of like when you're seeking validation, you know, being in a place that is not safe for mm-hmm. you to um, have the trust of receiving validation when it it shouldn't necessarily be a a give and receive you know what I mean mm-hmm. but that that is reality as well and I don't think that people that we should also be closing ourselves off from wanting to feel validated by our friends and thinking or friends and loved ones and close ones and thinking well I don't need anyone else because I know I'm valid like, while that's important, we also want to feel validated by those around us because that is a whole other topic of trauma is that one big reason we experience trauma is that there's these events that close us off, you know, from our the people that we're close to and feel like we should trust. But if we feel disconnected from them because of said event, then we're not feeling that safety and comfort. And that's a big part of, like, dealing with trauma and our need to be accepted so to feel validated in your emotions by the people that you love is again completely natural Mm -hmm. but the first thing I think the first important thing to do is to know that in yourself first and then be able to recognize a space where you don't have to ask for it you know with people Mm -hmm. It, it is a place where it is just welcome exactly yeah 
I think um, there's a big resistance and I think this is part of that um, conservative framing mm-hmm. that I can do it myself, but mm-hmm. um, a certain amount of dependence is normal and natural in relationships, you know? Mm-hmm. I depend on all of my roommates and my partner for support. Like, mm-hmm. that's that's super normal, but it's just when it's codependence when I think that maybe you aren't giving that validation to yourself first and a lot of my trauma stems from like childhood trauma so I think I need a lot of inner child like healing Mm -hmm. um but I would always tell myself like don't don't think that don't say that don't talk to yourself like that um that was my reframing and that wasn't working you know um because that's I wouldn't talk to a kid like that because it's not really saying anything. It's like, um, why did I have that thought? Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, you were really upset and that that makes sense that you had that thought, you know? And just like going first and being like empathetic to yourself um, about the way that you feel about things because feelings are feelings and that's natural and needing other people and needing validation from yourself is natural that's super important that's part of the I think healing process you know and hopefully yeah the earlier that you can um create that space for kids the more safe that they will feel in their own bodies as adults because feelings are always going to be there you can't like no matter how much white supremacy has structured our society be like no no that's not real it is Yeah, I'm glad that you brought up, like, the element of your inner child and childhood trauma because, yeah, that's something I wanted to talk about today as well because I think that when we're talking about looking forward and everyone, I think, is often imagining life after the pandemic and just, like, really waiting, you know, until we are in that place. Like I brought up before, I think that with all of the uprooting that this has caused, there is an opportunity for change. And if we just wait for change to occur without actually recognizing that we can take that, take advantage of that opportunity. And I think that the first place to do that is within ourselves. And then it, so that way I can imagine who I want to be when I am years from now past the pandemic. But not only that, like what type of world I want to be living in Mm -hmm. past the pandemic and really take advantage of not just my personal life, but the world being uprooted in some ways. Mm -hmm. But there are many ways that it is deeply rooted and like there are corporations that are really like rooting themselves even more um, Mm -hmm. where they've been and taking exploiting the circumstances of the pandemic as well. Um, So anyway, I think that. It's not that everything is uprooted, but there's so much tension. There's so much tension. And in the last episode, Nilalani mentioned that like things are like with that amount of tension, it's like a boiling pot of water and it's bound to boil over, Mm -hmm. you know? So where's that water headed? And Mm -hmm. what are we going to fill in our new pot? (laughs) Tied together. But that's why I think like there is a significant comparison between childhood trauma and our experience unpacking it now Mm -hmm. so that we will be better prepared and know ourselves much better um, as we continue to face traumatic experiences such as what we are literally experiencing in this very moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a a lifelong process, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. And I think um, 
when with childhood trauma like that's a life long like yeah I'm 21 and I just had 20 years I couldn't even accept myself you know mm-hmm. accept myself and like you know and I think that also ties to our present moment can we accept our moment and see it in full capacity how we need to see it in its fullness we need to see ourselves in our fullness it doesn't mean that it's like that's the way it has to be but it's like you have to see that and for the longest time I was just like experiencing a traumatic experience trauma trauma and there's no processing happening Mm -hmm. you know and so that's that's a lot to unpack you know and I think that um when you don't have those frames mm-hmm. like for future traumatic experience and also to understand your past it creates a really unhealthy relationship that's like more insidious because mm-hmm. you don't even see it you know I feel right. like insidious might seem like a really intense word but it is because mm-hmm. you cannot even like I would say literally before the pandemic I was like I'm good my childhood trauma didn't affect me like right. I'm fine no, no, girl, you're not. Like, yeah. you're not fine. And that's okay because I think that it's also led me to understand, like, the quicker that you can see yourself um, and see, like, what what do I need to hold myself accountable for? What do I need to heal? Like, that's the healing comes so much quicker, you know, mm-hmm. because there is a defensiveness over over that. You know, there's a defensiveness over our society as a whole and a defensiveness over like growing yourself because you're like that's the way it's always been like just the mm-hmm. way that we say that you know all of this ties to a bigger picture you know mm-hmm. which is why like you said it's so important to unpack those together and yeah see um see a better future and understand like this is lifelong work you know mm-hmm. and there are there are tools and there's people who are are doing that work, you know, I think that that was also really important for me, I don't remember who I was having this conversation with, we were saying how important it is to realize that you are not alone, you know, Mm -hmm. you're not the first person to have thought of, like, had these experiences or thoughts, not to say that my experiences aren't unique, and that I'm not having a unique individual experience, that my childhood trauma is, um, is something that, like, only I can work through, but it's, like, realizing, you're, like, oh, my gosh, I'm not alone, and other people have experienced things that I have, and that comes into having, being able to talk about that, but you need to be able to talk about it with yourself, you know, and have those conversations with yourself, how, how am I gonna process this, you know, how Mm. can I even create a language for that, for myself, what is the dialogue that I'm gonna have within myself, and with other people, to to process this um and I would say that um just unpacking and processing is one of the most difficult things and like those reactions that we have those physical reactions like dissociation we talked about that a little bit earlier Mm -hmm. and panic attacks like the first time I had a panic attack like I was like I'm gonna die and nobody told me that it felt like that so I was like I'm dying you know (laughs) and I didn't even know what it was when I disassociated I was like what's happening to me like and then I like disassociating is the worst because then also like you can gaslight yourself too where you're like 
you're fine. It's like, mm-hmm. or no, blame yourself. Yeah, like, blame there's something yourself. wrong with you. Right, exactly. And it's so messed up because it's like, even now on the podcast, I'm like, oh, I am having a hard time saying that. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I wish someone had had that conversation with me, you know? Yeah. Like, this is something that happens to people. Maybe it won't happen to you, and maybe it will, but you should at least have a frame to understand it because that was super scary and that's like I think when you have deep deep rooted trauma like processing is going to create that physical mental reaction and you're going to want to reject it and your body is so terrified of it that it's going into fight or flight you know dissociation is another is like your flight it's just like i'm good i'm out of here i can't do this anymore like Mm -hmm. i don't want to be here um and all of those are they're they're natural responses experience that you feel when you're processing trauma is going to be incredibly painful but also um like you deserve that in like a way that it's like you deserve to feel how you need to feel because there's no there's never going to be like a a right way to do it you know um and it's scary um and I think that is why we put off processing trauma on an individual level because it's really scary to unpack and you're like what's gonna happen next you know like what will I unlock and it's like better things that's for sure you know (laughs) well and that's exactly why feeling alone through it impedes us even more from actually unpacking it because I know Mm -hmm. that at least for me going through a scary situation I usually don't want to do it alone you know Mm -hmm. um watching a scary movie I can't watch them alone but I (laughs) I will be fine if I have someone with there right there with me and it doesn't make the experience of the movie less scary for me Mm -hmm. but knowing that I'm not the only one there in that room and experiencing the same thing with me and knowing that we will all be okay the movie will end will be okay you know Mm -hmm. um that helps me get through it even like at a subconscious level so anyway those are all very kind of trivial examples but I think that yeah it really does just show like going through any scary experience alone makes it so much harder and that's often what stops us from doing it no matter how much we think we can do it on our own and like you said we can never make it anyone's responsibility other than our own to unpack our trauma no one can do that for us Mm -hmm. but to have that compassion for other people and to have it reciprocated in an understanding of trauma itself and our experience of trauma um like knowing that that's there knowing that that understanding is there I think like does create a sense of security and you're not going in blind and even if you are you don't have to figure it out all by yourself kind of with those examples also Mm -hmm. with panic attacks the -hmm. only way that I could stop having a panic attack was having someone breathe because it's Mm -hmm. like you forgot like I don't know how from my experience I've never stopped having a panic attack um without another person being Mm -hmm. like this is how you breathe and Um, It just shows you, like, how natural that human connection is. Yeah, while it's no one else's responsibility, it is incredibly, like, it's a very painful thing, and it's incredibly hard to do by yourself. If you can create that space, and if you have space, you know, I think that we should always ask 
are like just show love by saying like do you have space for this right now you know when you're having a panic attack that's a different story it's a little bit hard to be like do you have space right now I can't breathe um (laughs) but on a collective level I think like when we know people and we create community um in our community because we don't Mm -hmm. like having a community doesn't always mean that you've created that community you know um there needs to be a fundamental um, love and respect there both with like you you connecting with other people through your personal trauma and just also like a communal level of making change and processing mm-hmm. um collective trauma yeah. yeah that's a really good point because you can live within a what looks like a community but you haven't built community if you mm-hmm. haven't um been a part of creating a foundation and that doesn't mean you have to be there from the beginning of like the entire community's you know (laughs) like um creation but your connection to the community um is not a given unless that trust is built like there's a foundation with trust um that you are a part of and that you are vulnerable um in order to be a part of before I really started unpacking like vulnerability and having to be vulnerable with myself, I always considered vulnerability as just me showing all of who I am, you know, or parts of myself that I hide to someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, because you have that trust. And mm-hmm. that is partially true. But vulnerability is also being vulnerable to yourself means that there are parts of yourself that you don't know about, you know, because. Mm-hmm somehow you hide it from yourself too Mm -hmm. so me thinking that I'm being vulnerable with someone else um does not mean that I'm completely showing all of who I am to that person if I've not made myself vulnerable to myself you know Mm -hmm. internally and that is still something that I struggle to wrap my head around and what that looks like for Mm -hmm. me but it has changed the way that I even consider consider vulnerability because I realized that before I know what vulnerability feels like for me um, to deal with my own trauma and to deal with what is painful to me um, that I don't communicate with others, then I will not know how to be vulnerable with other people. So the full, yeah, like I think that another really important part of recognizing frameworks of dealing with our trauma so that we may move forward and all that that narrative that I feel like I've been talking about of just picking up the tools so that we can face trauma in the future, a mm-hmm. lot of that has to do with achieving our full potential that we have, you know, for change in mm-hmm. ourselves and um, connecting with others and the change that we want to see for the world that we want to be a part of, that we want to contribute to, and that we want to make ourselves vulnerable to. We want to have a trust in the world that we live in that we can be vulnerable to ourselves and to others and be safe yeah yeah I feel like um vulnerability with yourself definitely does have to come first Mm -hmm. and also what does what does that mean you know how is how will you be vulnerable with yourself especially when you're like oh I I don't know that like I don't know that part of myself I dissociate with that part of me like anger you know I feel like I have a very hard time with that emotion and I think that bringing that um to my attention and understanding um and this ties in to our earlier conversation where it's just like um 
anger is valid, you know, all right. these emotions are valid, and being vulnerable with yourself and being like, I am still feeling that, but it, I am also able to bring that into sphere in a healthy way and be vulnerable with other people because any emotion, even if it's a defensive emotion, will take vulnerability. The fact I think that like anger itself, um, anger is interesting because I think that it's, yeah, it is something that we feel shame in and like it's a big contributor to the dichotomies that we create in gender norms for what is shameful and acceptable um, in cisgender women and cisgender men in our society about the the shame that women are taught to feel when expressing or even feeling anger and that's why we shut ourselves off from anger Mm -hmm. and then the construction that men can only express anger and are often shamed if they express any other emotion um that really is often coupled with anger like sadness and defeat and feeling small sometimes you know and I mean a conversation that we had before too is that there's no such thing as a small human being but these constructions that we have in our heads about very natural things like the full spectrum of our emotions which it's so limited and restricted to what we can feel in certain circumstances or can never feel just by the gender that we are assigned by the stereotypes of our society and yeah, the shame that comes with these emotions we're taught that we're not to feel, um, that are natural parts of our, the ways that we respond to our trauma. Um, it makes us feel like small people for the fact that we experience those very natural emotions. Emotion. Mm-hmm. And by feeling small, that further makes us, I think, feel um, disconnected from those around us because if we can't, feel like we are actually equal with those around us and in front of us and that we are seen as equal then how can we also perceive ourselves as accepted and welcome in these um communities that we want to trust and again want to open up and be vulnerable to right yeah if we are not allowed to experience our full spectrum of emotions then how are we ever expected to be vulnerable to ourselves in the first place if i'm just going to shut myself down every time that I get angry Um, and if I don't know how to respond to anger and if I don't recognize myself when I'm angry I should be able to recognize myself in every situation Mm -hmm. and that's where we we feel small if we can't recognize ourselves I think is important yeah just to give attention to as well that there's like just the intersectionality of the ways that we um, talk about norms in our society like the ways that norms impact us because again we keep talking I think like that's a common theme is like what is normalized and what is normal um and even though it's normalized and we see it that way um there is no normal like experience of our normalized dichotomies because we all experience that different depending on the intersectional identity that we each have Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that we can make a statement about like, okay, this is experienced this way, but um, intersectionality is super, super important, especially like something that I was talking about specifically with my therapist was like, he's like, yeah, I feel like you're usually feeling guilt. Like we used to do the whole like 
point to your emotions thing, mm-hmm. which is crazy because I would I was be like, oh wow, I'm pointing to my emotions, but it's like needing to learn to be in touch with those. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I just all the time I was feeling guilty, and I feel like guilt inherently comes with emotions, and I think also the intersection there is I have ADHD, you know, and so people with ADHD typically experience emotions more intensely you know Mm -hmm. and I feel like yeah I was a very sensitive child I definitely remember that was not accepted in spaces and so now when I feel things very strongly I have guilt associated with it and every time I would be like I was feeling this but also I was feeling this like you know Mm -hmm. guilt always came up and I think that that is systematically built into emotions through all the other things that we were forementioning, you know, and I think the different aspects of white supremacy will always ensure that we are out of touch with that, you know, Mm -hmm. so how can we, how can we create better spaces, and even in this space that I feel very comfortable, and I've noticed a lot, just reflecting as we were talking, um, I noticed that I soften my language a lot still, or even when I make a point that I'm like, okay, I feel like that made sense. I'll be like, I don't know if that made sense, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, so I think it's a constant like softening of the way that we feel things, even when I feel very strongly about what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. And I definitely hear what you're saying about the guilt that comes with like strongly felt emotions and I experienced very similar things as a child I was very emotional and I cried most of the time (laughs) of my existence (laughs) like all the time was very emotional um and I was shamed for it and I it made me feel bad and I think that now as an adult I I deal with that as well like feeling shamed um by no one but myself for crying and I still obviously cry and I can recognize that it's okay to cry, but I think that there's a part of me that doesn't feel like I'm worthy, you know? And like, if that doesn't even make sense when I articulate it that way, but I don't feel worthy of crying um, when when it happens, yeah. yeah. And I don't think that I um, ever unpack it when it happens. You know, that, that feeling of unworthiness, I think that I just know I have to finish my cry and then I move on. Um, but yeah, and then strong emotions, like I get very passionate in conversation and then I notice that when I am passionately discussing something, other people get uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, because my language gets stronger and my volume gets louder and I'm not yelling at anyone or using angry language, um, but my body language is bigger and because I've made myself bigger, um, people feel uncomfortable uh-huh. Though I'm yeah. not, yeah, though I'm not actually feeling angry at any particular person, you know, or, yeah. um, it's not a conflict in that moment that I'm engaging with. Um, mm-hmm. it's just a subject that gets me riled up <laughs> for yeah. lack of a better term. So, um, that's something that is continually internalized that we still are intuitive to other people's responses to us in a social setting and we still are social animals um, ultimately hoping to survive by acceptance. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. We've talked about that specific thing so much, like making yourself bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that so much in conversations about me feeling passionate. Okay. Am I coming off as aggressive towards you 
or what is being said because I feel like I reflect on this all the time now I'm like was she angry or am I just upset that she didn't say it as nice as she possibly could Mm -hmm. because I that's my internalized misogyny you know that's my internalized like white supremacy you know Mm -hmm. and I think that I've had to like try to create a a better relationship because I think for for a long time I was very like docile as Mm -hmm. a child you know and yeah we are very aware of like the way that people react to us and I feel like I just wanted to avoid conflict at all costs um you know it's really hard to be like what is that like what is me taking up my emotions in this space in like a loving respectful way like because I don't know I haven't had my emotions take up space I haven't learned that skill and so now I'm learning that like Mm -hmm. right now I'm learning how to bring my emotions into a passionate sphere and take up space and still have a conversation that is respected and loved by both parties and where is that coming from when it's not you know like really really being aware of the whole picture of the conversation yeah 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 and it doesn't mean that like the powers that are there are meant to be there should be there um but we can't separate our experiences within them um Mm -hmm. from what they are yeah and the ways that we participate in it in the ways like that we perpetuate it Mm -hmm. yeah exactly and i say this all the time how like just thinking back on the way that like i discuss these intersections and like Mm -hmm. what am I leaving out of this conversation you know and I think that it's so important to be critical of your moment and with compassion though you know in a way where it's like I don't want to look back and be like fuck you for saying that like it's just like okay how will I do better how can I hold myself accountable here and like misogyny I just like I just check myself out of that box I'm like nope I'm a woman and I'm like Okay, lately I've been really reflecting on all the ways that I have participated in misogyny and just, I don't know, I thought it was super ironic because I saw this video of myself calling out this girl for being misogynistic and it was misogynistic in its tone. We do need to hold ourselves as individuals accountable because no one else should have to to do that and when we are being held accountable we we should be accepting it like with healing like I was Mm -hmm. saying like the sooner that we can accept it the quicker that we heal and like work towards liberation you know right in every sense of the word yeah because when we're talking about our contribution to systems of oppression that we um benefit from through our presentation in society right um we're talking about a collective trauma that we contribute to inflicting and exactly. inflicting harm yeah. that we can't, yeah, that we do not experience and that we cannot understand in that way. And we have mm-hmm. to, yeah, like I agree, we have to approach every single discussion mindful of our liability to cause harm. Because, yeah, because like we are a part of a larger society, like I, I do believe that everyone is in, interconnected. And, yeah, um, 100%. And we can create harm reduction in mm-hmm. that. You know, right. like, I think, yeah, totally by having these conversations and unpacking that, then hopefully we are reducing harm and that when we are held accountable, we we respond to that 
in a way that reduces harm ultimately, you know? Yeah, yeah, that is not defensive. And not expecting anything from Exactly. Them, you know? Mm-hmm, 100%, yeah. Um, but yeah, just accountability is um, definitely one of the most difficult skills to learn, especially, yeah, because I don't think um, in the classroom, like I was saying, when we see harm, we say apologize typically is like just apologize but and I think that just just learning the way that um accountability repairs relationships rather than just um, rushing over harm because it's right. inconvenient because it's not productive necessarily mm-hmm. like sitting down and having a conversation isn't productive in capitalistic um terms mm-hmm. but it it really is for our community and ourselves and like accountability is is important um for collective healing i think you know yeah i agree with that because accountability um means that being apologetic is not the same thing as being absolved so you can be apologetic without receiving acceptance of what has been done the apologetic factor of healing does not negate the need for growth after the infliction of harm and 100%. yeah, it it means that you acknowledge the harm that you caused, you are sorry for it, and being sorry for it means that you don't want to do it again, and that means that you will do the work that is needed mm-hmm. to prevent that to your fullest capacity, and if it is inflicted again, um, then you might experience people setting boundaries around you, you know? Right. Um, if you're crossing boundaries that have been set, that means that you really do have to work on that growth for yourself um, mm-hmm. before, yeah, you can be continuing to take part in other people's lives when trust has been broken. So yeah, there's a lot of processes that have to do with relationships, I think, that is what we're kind of working through. Like how our relationship to ourselves really is deeply connected to our relationships with other people and how it is um not a linear experience and it is reciprocal in many ways and not also you know in many other ways and that's why it's such an ongoing process because it's not Mm. it's not linear it's not linear like Mm -hmm. healing is never going to be linear yeah in a specific situation in which a lot of harm was done to me like there was like only an apology and like only a sincere apology when it was brought to the attention of others you know Mm -hmm. and I think that accountability can be superficial when it's it's in that way but I think that like collective consciousness is good but it's like if you're coming to someone um you need to be very aware of your intentions for that accountability are you trying to be absolved and um being very aware of where you're coming from rather than just being like I just want to like heal this and that's where the not just saying sorry like works you know or like should come in you know yeah no it's interesting because I feel like now we're kind of on the topic of being on the other end of trauma and like being the inflictor of harm and when there is an apology for the purpose of being absolved Mm -hmm. that can really contribute to the trauma that you have already inflicted and the harm that you've already inflicted and there has to be recognition that healing from a harm that you have caused is not about you and the Mm -hmm. relationship going forward 
when you have caused harm to that relationship is not about you even if it is just trying to tell yourself like you're not a bad person you know right um and I think that that's just a whole other conversation too is like when it comes to taking accountability it's not a matter of being a good or a bad person and that that dichotomy that is also constructed a lot in the ways that we internalize our actions good versus bad um contributes to our misinterpretation of yeah the ways that healing is necessary especially in relationships and between people and when there is trauma within a relationship and when you are being held accountable for harm that is caused you're not being told you're a bad person and that is not something that you should be defensive over when you're being held accountable Mm -hmm. for causing harm you're not being told you are you know this or that it's just being fully aware meaning like understanding your part in it and where you move forward from there um being aware your part in it your actions Mm -hmm. and how that has impacted another person yeah yeah I think this also ties back to boundaries Mm -hmm. um during my healing process I've had to understand setting boundaries is love it's not me that's love Mm -hmm, and obviously every situation is different but if someone is setting boundaries um and you're feeling negatively about it you also have to reflect on why that makes you feel negatively someone is trying to teach you how to love them so there's less resentment in the relationship overall and so the relationship is ultimately healthier Mm -hmm. and that is what boundaries are about boundaries is in my opinion essential to harm reduction and creating a structure for yourself when you're processing trauma too you know and they might change and that's that's very fair you're changing every day and I think there needs to be that understanding in relationships and in communities that there are different capacities and different boundaries and that is an act of love I think at the end of the day love should be at the center of um your intentions you know Mm -hmm. and I think that that also helped me process a lot of my trauma and also helped me understand the ways that I can inflict trauma um, is that boundary, like everything is centered in love, you know, mm-hmm. when you have that that foundation for relationships, you know. I agree. It's like crucial and fundamental to actually creating boundaries. And there's a question of if someone has a negative response to Um, a partner or friend or whoever is close to them in their lives setting a boundary if their response is negative to it to me that indicates that there is a sense of needing to invade a little bit like right yeah like there's a wall set up I'm angry that it's there meaning I have this Mm -hmm. urge to break down the wall be on the other side of it like I'm entitled to be on the other side of it I don't belong here on this side of the wall which means that yeah there's not an understanding of why that wall is there and why you are also protected by that wall yeah i i really appreciate the way that you articulated the invade because Mm -hmm. it is true if someone's setting a boundary and when someone crosses that boundary that you set Mm -hmm. it does feel like an invasion and there's nothing else that you can really 
um, in my experience, that you can really feel from that. Mm-hmm. So what did that do? Like that wall is like a little hug, you know. It's like I love you. Mm-hmm. I need this to be successful and happy in our relationship. Mm-hmm. Why would you not respect that? And I think that there needs to be a lot more self accountability there. That's why I think it's important that the conversation has gone here too when it comes to trauma Mm -hmm. because if we don't see ourselves as playing a role potentially in other people's trauma, we can create more collective trauma and fail to also acknowledge um, how we may be inflicting that trauma on ourselves, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, because we can cause trauma to ourselves. I I do it to myself all the time, Mm -hmm. and that comes from not setting boundaries with other people and within myself. Within yourself, right, because you're talking about self-accountability and holding Mm -hmm. yourself accountable, Mm -hmm. and that also comes from a place of love. So if we're not practicing love for ourselves, we're not holding ourselves accountable in those situations, and we are continually, as a consequence, um, putting ourselves in situations of harm maybe unconsciously placing ourselves in and then victimizing ourselves rather than holding ourselves accountable mm-hmm. i think the victimization within yourself can happen so quick and i do mm-hmm. it like i'm speaking from experience mm-hmm. um and i think uh specifically i've noticed um my partner is a is a man and um i think specifically around sexual experiences um i have been structured to think a certain way about men's sexuality and then when it's not exactly the way that I perceived it and I like act out those narratives and then when it doesn't go exactly the way I'm like oh I'm the victim and I think Mm -hmm. that that's also really important to think about historically as as a white woman you know Mm -hmm. how does that role of victimization um, play a misogyny and also um, in the bigger picture of white supremacy, the the victimization is super super important to um, understand and perceive in yourself, and mm-hmm. um, just with all harm too. Right. Um, but I think that we have a hard time seeing ourselves in that negative light because no one wants to be bad. But it doesn't make me a bad person because I act out those roles. But what is the difference is me learning and saying that's not okay. I'm not going to act out those roles. And that's not my real story. I think victim is a way to make us complacent too and be like, I can't change that. You Mm -hmm. can't. You can change yeah. that. You and know? I would say that mostly applies to, yeah, like internal experiences. Internal, yeah. Internal, it's not important personal. to, like, you know, make that distinction for sure. Right, yeah. yeah. Because there's, um, yeah, like victimization is a real thing. It's not something that is, um, like, yeah, because when we're talking about, like, complacency to victimization, yeah, it can really only apply to basically when we're victimizing ourselves for a situation that we have put ourselves in is what I'm getting at. Yeah. But if it's like a situation that you have not put yourselves in and you actually are victimized for it, that's not complacency. And I know you know that. Totally. No, but I think that I'm really glad you make that distinction because I think that also you can gaslight yourself into being like, I'm not the victim here. So I think it is important to Mm -hmm. realize when harm has been done to you. So I'm really glad you made that distinction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because that's part of trauma too. Like there are victims of trauma. Right, right. Um, and yeah, like, again, like we were talking about just allowing yourself to feel that pain is not victimizing yourself. 
Right. Um, but when when you have caused harm, when you're not holding yourself accountable, and then place blame elsewhere mm-hmm. is when you are victimizing yourself. Especially within a relationship where that is projected onto the victim of your harm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I think it's anything and I mean this like in the span of any conversation and I always think back to things that I've said you know as a general statement but and I mean this for like also just this conversation too it's like anything that you say that you're like this is true it may be just true for you it may be just true for that conversation it may be just true in the context that you said it you know and it doesn't make your points less valid Mm -hmm. you know and just like this statement, this applies to this statement. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, um, it's really hard to declare universal truth. You know, it's mm-hmm. very hard to be like, this is reality because there's so many different perceptions of reality. So many different possibilities um, of situations that it's hard to say, like, this is how it is, you know? Right. Yeah. I don't know. And that goes for trauma. Trauma is a very like strange topic and that's why that disclaimer that we're not trauma experts Mm -hmm. um is super important because um this this is our our lived experience that we're referencing and different accumulations of knowledges and knowledge systems you know also just specifically with victimization i needed to realize you know like with trauma you need to accept it you need to accept like that I, there was harm done to me. I was a victim in this situation and you need to be angry and you need to be upset at mm-hmm. that situation to accept it. That happened to me and I will move forward from it, you know? Right. I think that there, yeah, there is a danger speaking in absolutes. Yeah. That's, yeah, just part of what that question of a collective trauma, um, you know, like that's why it, is such a difficult thing to wrap our heads around because I think that I like am able to recognize a collective trauma but I can't really understand it in in relation to my own personal world and reality necessarily because each experience each individual experience of that collective trauma is unique and I can't necessarily define the collective trauma so that's why it's so interesting that I think we can feel it though like we can feel the shift and mm-hmm. in a lot of ways there's been a lot of deeper connections between people as uh an outcome because of the need for collectivity and the need for an understanding between people because we have such unique experiences we need to find ways that we can breach those gaps and reach people mm-hmm. there also needs to be an understanding of how important that like uniqueness is for understanding the collective trauma as a whole and right yeah and even though you and I are each individuals with unique experiences of a collective trauma um and we can agree that there is a collective trauma somehow even though we just experience it in our own bubbles I think that's super interesting yeah so I'm not entirely sure yeah exactly like the best way to be bre- like breaching those gaps um with an understanding of interconnectedness and all of that I think like is really important and I'm saying I don't know how to do it because I've talked about how I want to see you know 
who I would want to be um, in the process of healing. And in our collective world, I want to see what our world could look like in a process of healing. Mm -hmm. Um, So my first step that I'm going through right now is where do I want to be when I have, um, you know, accepted my healing? Not that it's ever finished, but accepted what that is for me. And Mm -hmm. then from there... That I think that's where I might have a better grasp of like what it could look like in my reality to be a part of the interconnectedness that I'm aware of, you know, because I, I can be aware of it, but how am I being a contributor so that I'm also engaging with it to be a part of a collective process of healing? That's also... Like, the really cool part about healing is that you haven't met that person yet. You know? Yeah, like you're like, that's the opportunity. I don't know who that bitch is yet. Like, <laughs> you know? But I'm so grateful that I'm taking the steps to to accept it. That you are going to reach new parts of yourself and, and find what that means. Just coming to accept different parts of that process is is part of discovering that new part of yourself, you know? And yeah. I feel like um, it's, like, the steps or, like, the stages of grief, you know? I'm like, mm-hmm. it, it's not that linear, you know? Oh, it's not at all. It's mm-hmm. not. It's like, okay, I'm, like, I'm here. I'm in denial. Okay, I'm here. I'm here. I'm angry, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, it's it's definitely not, not as linear as described, so... I think that getting there and processing what is our lifetime of trauma is is a lot and um just getting getting to the point of saying I'm processing it is also really cool. Yeah, you know? I agree. I think that even to just acknowledge trauma is super important. It's like something that it seems so obvious, but I think that mm-hmm just tying back into what I had said at the very beginning of the podcast where I was still seeing disconnection about like the weight um, and the prevalence of the pandemic that still exists in um, the reality that is beyond our individual realities. That comes from like disengagement from the topic of trauma itself. So I agree, like even just acknowledging that you're processing trauma, even if you haven't gotten to a place where you can quite accept it or you haven't gotten to a place where you want to unpack it um Mm. but you are accepting the that there's a process to come and I think that yeah for me the process of healing is the painful scary part and like feeling disassociated knowing there might be panic attacks or that my relationships are at risk if I don't unpack you know um the trauma that I'm experiencing because I can't grasp and like reach the capacity of tools that I have for all the emotions that come with building relationships that um involve pain because if I have pain inside me that's involved in the relationships that I become vulnerable to I think the healing part of that is the scary part for me um and that's why I haven't quite gotten there because I have to also experience or accept my experience of that full spectrum of emotions that we were talking about that we restrict ourselves from or have been restricted from Mm -hmm. by socialization 
that is involving, yeah, like self-acceptance of all that I like am and the part of me that I will be experiencing when I'm healing. Like the reason why it's scary for me, I think, is because I understand that there are parts of my emotional spectrum that I have not touched. Mm -hmm. And in order to heal, I'm going to have to say hi to those, (laughs) those parts of me and, you know, do a lot. I'm going to have to get to know it. So that's, that's what, what I'm foreseeing to be the most time consuming is actually getting to know parts of me in order to heal. Um, and those parts of me that I have been hiding are parts that right now I have constructed in my head as ugly, um, because they're painful Mm -hmm. and that has been constructed as, um, unnatural you know things that we shouldn't experience but for like that distinction between natural and normal I think is like really important to Mm -hmm. realizing that those emotions that we're experiencing are not they don't have to be scary and like Mm -hmm. me getting to know the parts of myself that I have said are ugly don't have to be ugly because if I am going to approach myself with accountability and self-criticism um that's coming from a place of love and I don't have to shun any part of myself to be loving um Mm -hmm. to each of those parts yeah that I think comes from not holding space of safety you know for everything like the potential that I have to be um yeah my full complete person that is constantly growing I'm never going to be like complete as in like check mark done, but <laughs> everything that I am in this moment. Yeah, yeah, it is scary. And honestly, I think ugly is a good word. I don't think every part of ourselves mm-hmm. needs to be pretty and wonderful. Like yeah. I think ugly is a great word. I think that um when I first like started my healing process, I was like, this is the saddest feeling I've ever felt in my life I did not know I could be this sad like I want to lay in bed forever I've never felt that I didn't think that I could feel it you know Mm -hmm. but also I'm like I know what that feels like and it makes me more grateful for the moments that I don't feel like that I'm glad that I felt that because I was carrying it around you know like Mm-hmm. I still carried it even when I didn't feel it. It's in there. You're just like, yeah, you're just disassociating from it. Mm-hmm. But it it's so hard to come to that place, you yeah. know, where you're like, I can feel it because you've dissociated so well mm-hmm. that you don't, you don't even, you cannot do it, you know, almost. It feels like you can't. You know, and especially because we have such a, we've built our sense of self and we see those traits as ugly, but ugly means bad, but ugly just means like, ugly really is just like, it's not picture perfect. It's not like some beautiful thing that we want to post on Instagram, you know, Yeah. but it's like, we're supposed to feel ugly things, you know, that's, that's a human experience and that's natural yeah that's very true and I think that what you were saying about how powerful it is to have felt the most profound sadness you could have felt at like up to this moment you didn't think that you could have felt that but you did and you got past it that's part of building trust with sides of yourself that you've not gotten to know like we talk Mm -hmm. about how we have to have trust to be vulnerable with our relationships with other people 
it's the same for with ourselves and how we learn to trust ourselves is to yeah tap into those parts of ourselves that we have kept hidden part of that is experiencing it like you went through that sadness and you trust yourself even more and have a much better relationship with yourself now that you are carrying that with you and are also recognizing that you're not in that place anymore mm-hmm. like how we talk about getting through pain can make us stronger but I, I feel like that word, you know, it's very convoluted and it's just like, well, what does that even mean? But I think like just having that relationship with yourself and actually having hidden pieces of yourself that are like marginalized in our sense of self. I think like being complete and being whole is um, breaking down any marginalization that exists within your sense of self so that you do recognize that your completion of yourself like is equally constructed by each part of yourself like each carries um an important um influence and like what we resonate with more i suppose like Mm -hmm. once we've accepted our the ugliness it doesn't turn into something else it's there um but we have a new conception of like who we are that is more whole and we trust ourselves better yeah and i think like the so like pain makes you stronger that mm-hmm. like sounds I, I don't like it right but then it's like with kids when they fall and they're like crying and they're very stressed it's like one of the most painful things that they've ever felt you know I think that we never stop that and I think that it helps us be more compassionate towards like you know our inner child too or it's like this is the first time that you've ever felt something that painful it's okay to break down and just be like, holy cow, this is consuming because it's the most painful thing I've ever felt or like this is the most intense feeling I've ever felt and um, just showing yourself like that compassion and allowing yourself to be vulnerable and validating the fact that you were able to share that with yourself. Sometimes we forget that we're just a relationship to ourselves, you know? Like, yeah. We're just a relationship to our energy and the more that you like shut down what what um things make you feel or where your energy is at the more um I think that we will reject ourselves you know Mm -hmm. and reject ourselves as a whole yeah I'm I'm glad that you articulated that way as well like just the rejection because how you love yourself will be reflected in how you love others The way that you know how to love yourself is the way that you will know how to love others. So it does not mean that you're not capable of love. But if you reject parts of yourself, um, you will most likely in turn be rejecting parts of those that you have built love and trust with. And that means that that will be reciprocated and you will not be um, in a state of complete harmony with yourself and those around you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think like the purpose of really being connected to our communities through an understanding of ourselves is to build that harmony and wholeness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, you know, with boundaries and just like any reaction that we were talking about. And yeah, um, I don't nec- I don't necessarily agree with the you you need to just love yourself and then you can get in a relationship because you're changing all the time and it's hard to say you're always going to just love yourself as if you're just like a static person, right. you know, mm-hmm. um, and you're not. You need to continually grow 
in your relationship with yourself. I think that is the foundation and will will ultimately shape your reactions to those things. Yeah, I think that the this conversation has been, you know, healing. I think like even just one conversation can be healing. I we I think we put a lot of weight, you know, into what healing looks like when there is so much weight in what trauma looks like, but like it is such an ongoing process to the point of just like an hour out of your day just talking about it. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sitting down with me and talking about trauma and being vulnerable with me. Totally. It is hard, like, knowing the topic when you're like, oh, yeah, I want to talk about this. I was like, oh, I'm tired, bro. (laughs) I'm tired. Um, And I think that that's, like, I'm tired because capitalism makes us tired Mm -hmm. and makes us not want to connect to ourselves with ultimately is an investment into us not connecting with each other you know i think the number one thing is just checking with yourself Mm -hmm. yeah that's true i agree with that that it's like i can always find some reason to push off connecting to myself and checking in with myself because there are so many distractions and even like i was saying before when there weren't necessarily distractions rather than just connecting with myself i checked out because i didn't want to do it but I never felt uncomfortable during this conversation because I feel safe talking about it with you. And Very I think true. that working through um, conversations about trauma, like between friends, between family, between people that we do love and um, have trust for, or maybe that we need to be building trust between, part of that is being vulnerable mm-hmm. and opening up. And yeah, I'm hoping that um, as we move forward, Basically, my closing thoughts are, as we move forward, I'm really hoping that these conversations continue um, and can go further. um, Because there have been a lot more conversations in general about hard topics, I think. But the conversations that we have not wanted to even have with ourselves, I hope that those come up too. Yeah, me too. It would be really hard for me to sit down and have this conversation. I would consider myself a closed off person when it comes to certain like specifically trauma you Mm -hmm. know um but you know I've known you for a very long time and we have similar experiences and we've been vulnerable before and I think that at the end of the day there does need to be respect and love Mm -hmm. established before these conversations are had and I hope that yeah we do continue that and there are more spaces just like created um, just in general for more people to be able to have those conversations that they may not be able to have themselves and yeah processing by yourself is very valid you know mm-hmm. and I need that sometimes but I agree that yeah for myself I definitely do enjoy conversations you know mm-hmm. and sometimes those conversations do make you uncomfortable and you need to also be able to have the safe space to to communicate like this is a lot for me right now yeah you know? If that respect is not there, um, you don't owe anybody your experiences of trauma. Right. No one is entitled to that. Each of us are entitled to our own um, ways of communicating and expressing our, our traumas and whatever works best for each of us. And um, yeah, so I think the main point is recognizing what that is for each of us and yeah, understanding that we don't owe that to anybody else. So at the same time, hoping that we can share that with other people. So yeah, 100%. yeah. 
Tschüss.